Uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But, buts are always important, guys. But these are written that you may believe. So anything that says, so that this may happen, that's always going to be an important word. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I circled written, believe, and life. You can circle other things if you want, but for me those are really important words. And we're going to see those words, especially the believe and the life, over and over and over again in the things that we're looking at. What you're going to find as you do study is you're going to see the same things over and over and over and over again. Okay? And so Jesus did these things, and I'm writing them down. He did a lot of stuff, but I'm only sharing these things. In the book of John, there's seven miracles. There's seven I am statements. Uh, it's, it's a very, it looks like it's just a guy just wrote a bunch of stuff, but it's actually very organized. Very, very selective what he shared, what he included, and what he didn't include. And he said, I included these things so that you believe. And we'll talk a little bit about what that word believe means, and so that you may have life. Okay, so now we're going to start in John chapter 6, which has our first I am statement, which is, I am the bread of life. Okay? Um, oh, I already went through these. I'm ahead. Okay, I am the bread of life. And we're not going to read the whole thing, again, because of time constraints. Sorry about that. But I'm just going to tell you what happened. So here is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. You guys have heard about this before? People, Jesus was really popular. Think People think he was awesome. So they just went everywhere he went. And, like, big crowds gathered. So now there's, like, a scatter people. And they're hungry. So Jesus says, hey, let's feed them. He feeds them. He feeds them miraculously. Go down to... Uh, Verse 14, it's on the second page. It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Who is the prophet? This is another filter. If you don't know what the prophet is, this doesn't mean that much. In Moses' writing, he says, after me, God is going to bring a prophet. And like me, he is going to bring a new covenant. He's going to be. A, he's going to be. He's going to follow in the footsteps of Moses. Does that make sense? He's going to be another Moses. And so the people are saying, "Could this be that guy?" Why do they think could this be that guy? This one, I actually want you to answer. Think about it. Could this be Moses? What did Jesus just do? He fed them miraculously. What did Moses do? He gave, that's right. See how that makes sense? He, he gave them manna every day. So when, they, when Jesus gives them this bread, they say, could this be the prophet? Could this be this guy who we're expecting that's going to be just like Moses? And so they say, but Jesus knows what they're thinking. He figures out that they want to make him king by force because they're looking at a whole narrative. It's not like, hey, Moses gave us bread and you're giving us bread. What happened after the manna? They went into the promised land, they conquered, and they, became, they set up a kingdom. So what are they expecting? You're going to come, you're going to help us conquer the people who are oppressing us, and we're going to set up a kingdom, which was also promised. So Jesus says, they're going to want to do this right now, I need to get out of here. This crowd's going to you know, lose control. So he leaves. And we're going to skip Jesus walking on water, which is probably pretty cool. Uh, and go down to this our actual thing. So now we just we're always going to look at the context first. And he says, verse twenty six. Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me because they were like, hey, let's go find that guy. And he says, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of God will give you. And they say, well, what must we do to do the works God require? And he says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Remember we saw that belief thing? To believe in the one he has sent. What does it mean to believe in this context? Really, in the Bible, when it says believe, it's never intellectual assent. It's never like, I believe it's true. Like, do you, do you believe for, uh, Paris is the capital of France? Yes, I believe that's true. That's not what the Bible uses, means when it uses the word believe. It means like more about trust. Like I believe in you. What's your name? Kayla. Kayla? Mm -hmm. Kayla. Kayla and I are buddies and friends. And Alina, Alina she's not very nice. <laughs> and she says, well, you know what Kayla said about you? Kayla said 
that your hair is stringy and you have too much gray. And then I say, well, I have a hard time believing that because I know Kayla. Does that make sense? Or like, do you, you know how in, that con in those contexts you say, well, do you believe in me? Do you trust me? Do you like believe that what I'm saying is true? Do you, do you have like faith and confidence in me? That's a lot more what the Bible means when it uses the word believe. It's not talking about, do I think it's true? Now, we're going to look at things that Jesus said, and here's a really important thing about, Jesus, you can say anything you want. Like, I can say I'm the best basketball player that's ever lived. How many of you believe that? Wow, you are very gullible. We need to talk to you. Okay? No, you believe in me, but you shouldn't because that's a lie. Okay? So here's the thing. It's unlikely. It's unlikely that it's true. You can say anything you want, but the important thing is, is it true? The important thing is not what did Jesus say, is is it true? And that's questions people will ask. When we look at these contexts, we're going to look that people are asking, is it true that this, is this guy who we think he might be? And is the things he's saying, can they possibly be true? And those are good questions, guys. Okay? Those are good questions. If you want to be involved in apologetics, don't be put off by questions. Questions are wonderful. People who ask questions want to know things. The worst people are the ones who don't ask any questions. As believers, we love people who have questions. Because then we can talk to them and tell them about Jesus and say how awesome he is. Okay, so here he goes. He says, it's to believe. And then he says, and so they say, hey, what sign are you going to give us so that we may believe in you? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness. It is written, he gave them food from heaven. Now, from years I read this and I was like, ah, uh, like, didn't he just like give them food from heaven? Like, hello. But they, he, they didn't mean like a one-time deal. Remember, Moses gave him food six days a week. So they were saying, like, give us bread every day. Okay. And this is what he says. Very true, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. So they're comparing him to Moses and say, do what Moses did. And he's comparing himself to Moses and saying, what Moses did was cool, but it's not what you think. There's something greater. It's almost like he's saying there's someone greater than Moses here. I am greater than Moses. Moses gave you bread. Finish that sentence. I, I am the bread. You see the difference? Moses gave you bread. I am the bread. And so if you go on, verse 35, Jesus declared. So they said, sir, always give us this bread. Always. See, he says, keep, you know, keep feeding us, man. We're hungry. We get hungry every day. And he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. And so this is the first thing you need to notice. And in all of these statements, and one of the things that makes Jesus unique, because you say, well, what makes Jesus unique? This is the biggest thing that makes Jesus unique. Everybody wants to give you information. All religious teachers gave information or showed you the pathway to God, whether it's like, you know, the seven this, the five that, you know what I mean? All these different religions. But Jesus doesn't say, believe this information, trust this philosophy, follow this path have this lifestyle, he said, come and follow me. And he says, I am the bread of life. So this is not something that I'm going to give you. This is someone who I am. This is something I am. And so if you want to have it, if you want to have life, I love what Ravi Zacharias says, which he's quoting somebody else. He says, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Amen. Okay? So we don't teach people moralism, like, hey, you need to change your lifestyle. You need to do this. Jesus didn't come to change people's lifestyle. He came to change them on the inside. He came to bring them life. And you're going to see that word life over and over and over again here in the Gospel of John. So what happens? They begin to grumble because he said, I'm the bread of life. I wrote you a little article, like if it was a first century, you know, newspaper account. I had a little fun with that. So you read that later. Don't read it now. Uh, so they begin to grumble and say, what does the guy think he is? And he says, you look, I'm the bread of life. Uh, verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, what I will give for the world. 
verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now this is like way like, okay, whoa. This is intense. This is very intense. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Look at verse 56. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Circle that remains in me part because it will come up later. Uh, okay, and then what do they say? Many disciples desert Jesus. It's a little one of those, you know, people should not write stuff in our Bible, but they do. Uh, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? So people who are following him. Not like Joe Schmo, people who like say, hey, I'm going to follow you, I think you're awesome. They say, this is a hard teaching. Do they say, I don't understand what this guy's saying. What does he mean by flesh and blood? He, they don't say that, do they? They say, this is a hard teaching. Not this is hard to understand, this is hard to accept. This is hard to accept. And so they stop following him. They, they, they go away. And so he says to the twelve... Are you going to leave too? Verse 68. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else shall we go? Let me tell you something about Jesus. You may not like him. Always. But where else are you going to go? He's the only one who gives life. He doesn't give a religious path. He doesn't give a philosophy. He doesn't want to improve you. He wants to bring life to people. Okay, and the important, remember we said the important thing is, is it true? Okay, so we're going to go to the next one, chapter 8. Go to chapter 8. We're going to move so fast. But this is the thing. I want you guys to go back and, and do some studying. And if, you're not, if you won't do that, then you'll just lose out. Okay, that's all I can say to you. Okay, chapter 8, new context. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. So we're in Jerusalem. And Jesus has come in. And people are kind of looking out for him, see what's going on. This is back in chapter 7. And they say, is he coming? Is he not coming? And then he like say, he finally shows up and he starts talking about himself. And they're saying, oh, this guy's crazy. And they actually sent, uh, sent temple guards out to arrest him. Okay? All this is going on. The temple guards come back because they're listening to him. And they don't arrest him. <coughs> and the, the leaders say, why didn't you arrest him? And they say, man, nobody ever spoke like this guy. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Look into it. No, uh, prophets don't come from Galilee, which of course is not actually true if you like to read. One, it's said that the Messiah would be called a Galilean, but also there are other prophets that came from Galilee. Not a lot, but there's a couple. So that's kind of, yeah, people say stuff. Just because people say stuff doesn't make it true. Okay? So then there's this division, right? So you see our little things there? We got that. That's good. Okay, there's this division. So we have this divided crowd. Some people say, man, but if he's not the Messiah, then how can he do all these things? And other people say, well, we don't, you know, we don't, we know, I don't know, I don't think so. He can't be because he doesn't fit our mold. He's not what we expected. So, we, you know, it can't be. So there's, people are divided into this group of people. Jesus says this, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever walks, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Notice the word life is here again. You're going to find that there's a lot of repetition in these statements. It's not like, it's like seven different ideas. It's just really basically one idea. Stated over and over and over and over and over again. And you're like, why are these people so repetitive? Well, partly it's because they're like Middle Easterners. And in the Middle East, information is said cyclically, not in an outline like in the U.S. Okay. So we just come back around again and again and again, and we just say the same things over and over and over and over again. And, you know, John is also collecting accounts of di different times in Jesus' life. So you think he, like, said something completely different everywhere he went? He basically said the same thing over again with a little nuance of difference. If you hear me speak about ten times, you're going to hear me say a lot of the same things over again. But it's not going to be exactly the same. I'll use different texts and stuff, but I'll be, it'll be a lot of like my life message will be in it. Does that make sense? So what's Jesus' life message? I have come to give life. So that it's not going to be like a big difference every time you hear him speak. So here he is. I am the light of the world. The word light here in the, in the Hebrew context is a huge concept. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Um, in the first chapter of John, 
First chapter, John says, In him was life, and that light was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Some translations say the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, it talks about uh, John the Baptist. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. It's not talking about light like if we turn the lights off, we can't see. And if we turn the lights on, we can see, and now we know where we're at. It's not talking about that concept of light. It's talking about more like your cell phone. If you hold up your cell phone, what do you see? A light. What happens when the light goes out? What do you say? My phone is dead. Exactly. Isn't that funny how we use that expression? It's not really dead. You can recharge it. But we say my phone is dead because we have this concept that has been handed down and it's in our brains that things that have light are alive. And when the light goes out, it's dead. And that is the Hebrew concept of light. In him was light and there was no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him but walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. That's the, John's epistle. Mm-hmm. So there is, where there is light, there is life. It's like turning on the light is turning on things. Like it was like a sci-fi movie where like the char- characters are all like half dead and then they like bring the divine light and put it in there like, you know, and then they come to life. That's what he's talking about. We're all walking around like zombies, but he came to bring the light of life to us. So when he says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I came, yes, to testify to the world, because he's talking about testifying. But he's, so he brings that concept of, te- of the light, alumbrando, you know, lighting the world, you know, bringing uh, clarity. But he's also saying light, he's bringing life into the world. Does that make sense? So pretty cool stuff. But he's really talking, he's talking about the validity of his teaching. And I've come in here to, to testify to the truth. And he does say, there's kind of a point where I'm going to be gone. And you won't be able to, you won't, you know, you, you'll, you'll lose this light. But what does he say to his followers? You are the light of the world. So that ministry is to continue mm-hmm. through his followers of lighting the world and, and not just clarifying and bringing light so we can see in the darkness, but so that we are are life givers. Mm. We're life givers. We're not educators. When we carry the light, we are are bearing the life of God and offering it to other people. It's not awesome. That's like Mm -hmm. awesome. I don't know. It doesn't excite you, man. I don't know what's wrong with you. Okay? All right, we're going to move on. Wow, we're like, is this like speed through the Gospel of John or what? All right. But I have to, there's like seven of them in like almost no time. Okay, so chapter 10. Chapter 10 is awesome. <sighs> What's the contents of chapter 10? It just starts like, I tell you the truth. And you're like, oh, it's just Jesus spouting beautiful sentences. No, it's not. <laughs> it's chapter 9. That's why we hate those chapter divisions. In chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. How many of you read this? Okay, you need to read your Bibles, okay? Uh, Jesus heals a man born blind. It's a huge thing. They're like talking about it. They're like holding. Were you really born blind? Is this your son? Was he born blind? Okay, tell me this what he did. Tell me again what he did. Okay, let's hear it one more time. One more time. What did he do? Why was this? What's the big deal? Jesus healing people all the time. They didn't have these councils. This is a big deal. In their own writings, rabbinical writings, it said the Messiah would perform three miracles that nobody else had ever done. And one of them would be that he would heal a man born blind. And so to admit that Jesus had healed this man born blind was akin to saying, yes, he's Messiah. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. So this is a huge, huge deal. So what's going on here is there's that part, but really the shepherd flock motif is not so much about am I the Messiah or not. It's more about what is a trustworthy shepherd. Because look at the end of chapter 9. Jesus, so they, they threw the man out, the man who was healed. They threw him out of the synagogue because they said anyone who believes in him, not the, you know, anyone who like says, yeah, this is the guy and, and I'm going to follow him, they're gonna, we're going to kick him out because we don't have anything to do with him. They threw him out and Jesus finds out about him and he says, to the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, who is he? Tell me that I may believe. He says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. I'm in verse 37, 38. Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. That's huge, the whole worshipped him thing, guys. Anyone who tells you Jesus never claimed to be God, that's not an idea that can be supported. 
because one is he let people do things like worship him, and two, he was killed for being God. That was like the judgment against him. Okay. So even if you like, if like the Muslims say, well, they, you know, he took him off the cross and puts it and put Judas there so that yeah. he wouldn't die. Whatever, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. That the, the judgment against him was that he claimed to be God. Does that make sense? So you don't have to always look at like, well, what did he say? Like, right, sometimes you find things in like the in between parts. Does that make sense? So that's why he got. That's why he was killed. So then he says, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who, who see will become blind. The Pharisees said, oh, what do you say? We're blind too? If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So here Jesus is talking about, remember in the last sec, verse, uh, chapter 7 and 8, he's talking, to, they're saying, is your testimony valid? Are the things that you say about yourself valid? They're not valid because you're your own witness. And he said, well, I can be my own witness because I actually know where I come from. But he says, I, I, I'll, t I'll mention the other things that testify to me. John the Baptist testified to me, but I don't really need his testimony. I just mentioned it for your benefit. The works that I do testify to me. You know, notice that a lot of these things are like right next to a miracle. So he feeds the 5,000 and he talks about being the bread of life. Right? He, there's another one I can't remember now. But now he heals the man born blind and he, he mentions this thing. What does he talk about? He says, I tell you to the man who does not enter by the sheep pen but climbs by the gate, in some other way is a thief and a robber. He's talking about these leaders. Are these leaders true shepherds? Are you a true shepherd? And what does he say? He gives an endorsement to this man. He says, my sheep hear my voice. This guy who you just kicked out, he recognizes who I am, so he's part of my sheep. And then he says, how can you know who, if I'm the true shepherd? What does he say? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Isn't that cool? So he's talking about our, how do they, how can you know who is a true sheep and who is a true shepherd? A true shepherd does not run away when the wolf comes. A true shepherd cares for the wolf, for the sheep. And, and a true shepherd... The ultimate shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So he's saying, you can know if I'm valid or not. You can know if I'm the true shepherd if I lay down my life for the sheep. That's pretty cool, huh? Mm -hmm. So that John 9 stuff, oh, that John 9 stuff is good. So go ahead and read that. Read that again. Okay, next one. John chapter 11. I guess you guys talked about this yesterday. Oh, I didn't share that one too much. Oh, look at that. It's really cool. Okay, John 11. Nope, that's, I went too far. I often got too far, go too far. Oh, did I skip it? I did. Sorry about that. Okay, John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. So we know the context because you guys talked about it yesterday. What's going on there? Lazarus dies. Mm -hmm. Jesus shows up a few days too late or maybe right on time to do what he wants to do, which is, which is reveal the Father to the world. Why did Jesus come? To make the Father known. Mm -hmm. I read a book years ago by a guy named Jack Winter. I went to a conference. They had two guys who spoke, Jack Winter and Jack Frost, and I'm not making that up. And I bought a book by Jack Winter, and it was about the Father. And I read this thing. It is like 1995, 96. I read, he said, made this statement in it. He said, the reason Jesus came was to make the Father known. And it blew my mind because I didn't know that. I thought the reason Jesus came was to die on the cross so I would go to heaven. Because that's what I was been told to that point. And then I realized, wow, the gospel is a lot bigger than that. Notice the whole like die and go to heaven stuff has not been brought up one time. Mm -hmm. Not one time. Jesus came to give us life and life eternal. What that means is not like you'll go to heaven when you die. That means there's a life put in you right now that cannot be snuffed out, even if you die. And that's what he says to, to Martha. She says, your brother will rise again. I know that, she says. I went to Sunday school. I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Why does he say that all the time, that I am? It's, yes, it's harking back to God's name, but it's also saying, these are not things I do. These are not things I give. This is who I am. 
I am the resurrection life. The life that I am giving you cannot be, cannot be snuffed out, not even death. What does it say? Whoever lives, believes in me, will never die. Oh, I'm sorry. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Even though you die, this life cannot be extinguished. So this is not a life for later. This is a life you're given now that it goes on eternally. Does that make sense? The distinction seems small, but it's huge. Because in this, in the like, you're going to have eternal life when you die concept. It's like, well, what am I doing till then? Why, doesn't God, why don't I get saved and just go straight to heaven? Because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in, in the interim. Or I live a very, like, non-life. I live this, like, where's this power life I've heard about? Why am I not experiencing that? Well, if we don't even know it's supposed to be experienced, if we don't even know that Jesus came to give us, to, uh, to deposit life in us right now, that we can partake of his life. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's not participating in communion. He's saying, unless we know each, you partake of me intimately, Unless our relationship is such like you are eating food and it's going into your mouth and it is becoming part of who you are. You know when you eat food, it becomes part of who you are? Like not just like, you know, it gets added to your hips or wherever else you add weight. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you eat food and it gets digested, it feeds every cell in your body, right? It becomes a part of every little last iota of your blood. Isn't that awesome? He says unless our relationship is at that level of intimacy, you have no life in you. Unless you take me into your life in that level, you have no life. This is why I have come. So he says here to Mary, to Martha actually, he says, I am the resurrection of life. I'm going to, don't you know, man, we, we're buds. We've hung out together a lot. Haven't you figured out that I am the resurrection of life? It's not something I'm going to do. And, and, and he confirms that by raising Lazarus. Isn't that cool? He confirms his word. Jesus is always confirming his word with his actions. They're, they're always like this. That's why it's, it's so cool. Like John, he has seven I am sayings and seven miracles. It's very well crafted, the book of John. And then it's so cool that Jesus weeps. Why does Jesus cry? What's that? Show empathy. Show empathy. He was like just faking it. He wept because he had empathy. I, I just I picked on you whoever said show empathy because he, he actually felt empathy. He felt bad. People were sad. You ever sad when other people are sad? Yeah, it was a sad, it was a sad situation. And so he cried. But he didn't just cry because he felt sad. He cried so that we would know who God is. Remember, the writer of Hebrews says he is the exact representation of his being. Jesus says in John 14, which we're going to next, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Everything Jesus did was to manifest the Father. Does the, is the Father sad when we're sad? Does the Father cry? Yeah. Is the Father humble? Yeah. Is it hard to see the God in heaven is humble? Yeah. So what did he do? He came down. And like got right in our face so we could make it out. Oh, wow. I didn't notice that before. I didn't notice how humble and gentle and kind you are. That's what the incarnation is all about. Isn't that cool? There's a quick part here that I can't find really quickly. Okay. Let's go to chapter 14. So we're moving along. There's a lot of these discourses. And now we are getting to the very end. And Jesus, Jesus is a Messiah, and they're all like super excited. They're all in the end crowd. He picked 12 apostles. Why did he pick 12 apostles? Because they're like the 12 tribes of Israel, right? They're like 12 leaders. They could be the 12 leaders in the new kingdom. Is Jesus' kingdom a physical kingdom or a spiritual kingdom? Yes. It's a kingdom of the spirit, which is what the word spiritual means in the Bible. It doesn't mean like ethereal and like the force be with you nonsense. It means of the spirit. It's a kingdom of the spirit. It is God's kingdom. 
And does it manifest physically? Like, were people not healed physically and raised from the dead physically? I would say that's a physical kingdom. Okay? So, he, here he is. Now, they're like all gung-ho, man. We're moving forward. But Jesus starts talking about dying. I mean, they know this is dangerous territory. He could, lots of people came and claiming to be Messiah, and then most of them ended up dead. So they know this is dangerous territory, but they also have belief and faith that he is super strong and awesome and has incredible power, and he can probably kill people just like by looking at them. And so it's going to be great. But he's not talking like that, is he? He's not talking, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and we're going to take the place by force, and you take this thing, and you do this, and you do this, and you know, take this special rock, I'm going to put power in it. He doesn't do any of that. He starts talking about, I'm going to die. And I'm going to be killed. And that is not encouraging talk, you guys. This is not what these people want to hear. They don't want to think we've just sunk three years of our lives following a guy who's about to die. What, what, if, he, if you die, what's going to happen to us? Where do we go from here? This is like as discouraging. I don't know if you've ever been in those moments where, something, where like you were expecting something and then it all just goes flat. Think of that feeling, and that's how these guys are feeling. And they're going forward. They're like going through the motions, you know. Like, I guess just, just keep going. Let's just keep going because we don't know what's going to happen. And they're up and down all of the time. You know, Jesus, oh, this cool thing happens. That bad thing happens. They're like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen. And so here, you, it's, you know, the, the, the NIV translators put this little heading in there, Jesus comforts his disciples because they need a comfort. That's amazing to me that the comfort is not, look, don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm going to die, but three days later I'm going to be alive again. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. It's going to be totally cool. That's not what he said. Isn't that cool? That he, it's so funny that he doesn't share his plan. And this is very important for you guys. I want you to listen to this. Why doesn't he share the plan? Because he doesn't want him putting faith in the plan. He wants him putting faith in him. Remember, Jesus is always calling us to himself. Everything you hear is Jesus calling to himself, to himself, 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 himself. He never calls him to a teaching, a lifestyle, anything, always himself. That doesn't mean that there's not a lifestyle to be, to goes with following him. That doesn't mean there's not teaching that goes with following him. But it comes from following him, not the other way around. And so he doesn't share a plan because the faith is not in the plan. The faith is in the person. Right? How many of you want to have faith in a plan? Everybody. Right? It's like, God, please just tell me. Please just tell me. Just trust me. I trust you, Lord, but I trust you more if you told me. <laughs> right? God wants to get, make us mature believers that say, you know what? I don't need to know Jack. I don't need to know what's going to happen. I know you. That's all that matters. I know you. I trust you. I know you. I know your heart. So I know anything you're going to do is going to be good. I know your power. So I know nothing can hinder what you want to do. I know you. So I don't need to know what, the what. It's okay to just know the who. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's doing with these guys. He says to them, well, you know, Thomas, God bless Thomas. He was awesome. Forget about the doubting part. The church that, Jesus, that Thomas founded in India has had believers in it from the first century to this day. If that's not a mark of awesome ministry, I don't know what that is. First Chi Alpha group I ever started, it didn't last like three years after I left. Thomas, his, the church he founded has lasted 2,000. Nobody else can claim that, so let's stop by talking Thomas, okay? So Thomas says, Lord, we don't even know where you're going, so how can we know how to get there? And what does he do? Calls him back to himself again. Hey, Thomas, uh, I am the way. You want to get to the Father? Because he says, I am the way, right? He says, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. See, isn't that awesome? The, the object is always the Father. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the way you get there. I'm the one you believe in. I'm not gonna, it's not some other information. I am the truth. Believe in me. And I'm the life. I'm the, I'm the life giver. There's, just, there's no other way. This is almost like a summary of everything we've read before, isn't it? And I, I just so encourage you guys to go back and read through all of these passages with your pen. Go Read through them all again because you're going to find so much stuff. And he says, I, I am this person. Don't be discouraged. 
says, Lord, show us a father and that will be enough for us. Don't you know me, Philip? Verse 9, I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. Now here's the thing. Anyone can make that statement. But can anyone back it up? How many of you read a bunch of those Me Too hashtag things? And the Church Too hashtags? It's about how I was abused in church. How people have been abused in church by pastors. There's evil people in the world, friends, who malign our Lord's name. They exist. They're real. Okay? Jesus talked to us about them, so we shouldn't be surprised when we see them. You want to know one of the biggest uniquenesses of Christ? Think of every religious teacher you've ever heard of. In the Bible and outside the Bible. Think of David and Solomon. Think of Muhammad. Think of David Koresh. Think of, oh, I forgot his name now, Joseph Smith. Gandhi. You know Gandhi slept with children every night? In his bed? He said it was platonic. How did Jesus treat women? He never disrespected them. Even whenever they had, you know, it seemed to be the only one. Didn't disrespect them. Did he take advantage of his power, his charisma, Mm -hmm. to surround himself with a bunch of women? What other man in history would that level of charisma has ever done that? Can you think of one? Maybe two? If that is not a uniqueness, I don't know what is. I'm going to recommend a book to you. It's called Who Is This Man? I don't remember the author's name. It's going to be hard to find. You have to be like a, a little bit of a searcher there because the first place you're going to find is going to be like a $75 book. Do not pay $75 for it. I found it for like 3 bucks. So look around for it. And it's going to be hard now because you're all going to drive up the prices. Uh, but it is a fabulous book. Maybe like buy one per campus and share it. <laughs> it is a book where this guy goes through and talks about all the uniqueness of Christ, of how, how he, changed the term, he changed the definition of the word humility. The word humility before Jesus lit, walked this earth was a negative word. It means you were humiliated. Nobody would ever want to be called humble. Humble was a bad word. Oh, you're so humble. It meant like you were worthless and you were, you were, you know, you were just low. Who would ever, who, what person of power would ever not use that power for their own advancement, for their own enrichment, for their own pleasure sexually? Who would do that? Nobody. The concept of humility did not exist before Jesus walked this earth, as we know that concept today. Isn't that awesome? That's just one of a thousand ways Jesus changed the world. The way we look at children, that we think, oh, you can't hurt a child. Oh, children are so special. Children were not special when Jesus entered this planet. Children were worthless. They just leave them. We don't want a child, just throw them out over there. Just toss them, just toss them out, and, and then they'll die from exposure. It's not a big deal. You just make another one. This concept of life being holy and, and sacred, it was in the scriptures, but it wasn't in the world. Jesus manifested God to the world. And so people, his followers said, wow, there's a child thrown out here. That's awful. Let's pick him up and take him home. And they would just pick up all these children. they just find all over the place. That's what Christians did. So they changed the world, man. It wasn't by putting you know, Facebook posts. They changed the world through action. They're doing the things nobody else wanted to do. Doing crazy things. Like, why would you pick up that child? That's crazy. That's worthless. Giving value. Mother Teresa, what made Mother Teresa famous? She gave dignity to people who were dying. They're dying anyway. Why does it matter? They're going to die anyway. It doesn't matter. They have dignity. They're precious. They're holy creation of God. And you know what? 25% of people didn't even die. Chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. This is my ultimate favorite passage of scripture. 
and we're going to spend the least amount of time here. Oh my gosh, it's so awesome. Chapter 14, Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to go, but it's going to be okay. I'm, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. This, the life of God is not take, going to leave you because my, I'm going to send my spirit to you. And the life, you're going to have the life of God. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to be awesome. And this is what is, and he continues to encourage them. And he uses this analogy of vine and branches. And he says, you know what? We're connected. Who connects us into the vine? God does. Yeah. So, you know, think of the work of the Holy Spirit. He, he convicts us of sin. Mm-hmm. He makes us born again. We're born of the Spirit, the Bible says in John chapter 3. He sanctifies us. It's, it's all the work of the Holy Spirit and, and, and the Father who draws us to the Son. They all, everything that, that God does, it's all the Trinity involved, all together. Okay? This is the one thing he says, so here's his command. Ready for this big command? What is it? John 15. What is, what's the command? Remain. Remain. I put you in there. Don't get out. That's good. I brought you in here. Stay here. Don't leave. Don't break this connection. Stay connected to me. Because if you stay connected to me, what's going to happen? What happens, what happens when you con- disconnect a vine, a branch from a vine? It, it, dies. it dies. This whole thing is about life and death, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How many times does the word life... I, I challenge you to take the Gospel of John, make a photocopy of it, and circle every time you find the word life. He says, if you, if you get cut off, you're going to die. Stay connected. Stay connected to me because the life of God is going to flow through you. Now, right before this, he talks about, actually, I think it's like back in like chapter 7. He says, he, come and drink of me. And he says, and John gives us a little commentary. He, he, he was talking about the Holy Spirit who they were able to receive. He says, you know, he kept, like the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow through him. He said to the woman of the well, if you drink this water that I give you, it will well up and become a, a river coming out of you. Now, isn't it awesome that the analogy of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is not an Izzy bottle? It's not an Izzy bottle. The Lord doesn't say, this is very important, okay, so pay attention. The Lord doesn't say, bring me your Izzy bottle, and I will fill it. What does he say? You will become a river. Mm-hmm. Some of us have a, a, a Christianity that is a bottle concept. Don't we say, oh God, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up, Lord, fill me up. Right? We sing those songs. Because we want to be full, you know, like this bottle's kind of empty, so we want it to full, be filled up and stuff. But what does Jesus say? I'm going to make you a river. The, water, the, fluid is, the liquid is not coming from into us, it's going out from us. The Spirit is given to us not to fill us, but to water the world. Isn't that awesome? From us out to the world. We will become a river of living water. There's that word life again. Living water. Water. Life is going to be going on from us. Life is. This is a Christian life. This is normal Christianity. This is not like the really high holy people achieve this thing. Normal Christianity is life is flowing from inside of you to those around you. So. Simple summary statements. I think I have some in here. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. I didn't follow my PowerPoint too well. Sorry about that. Living the life. Ha! You like how I did that? (laughs) Living the life. You want to live the life? I would say the life of Jesus, except there isn't any other. What's the other life? What did Peter say? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the only one who's got this. Embrace him. First thing we have to do is embrace him. Doesn't mean a matter if we like him. 
Jesus says a lot of things I don't like. He just made me do things I didn't like. I moved from Miami to Michigan. Hello. That was not a happy day of my life. But not only did I move there, I lived there 15 years. 15 years in Michigan. Man, that's like loving Jesus. You got to embrace him. Submit your life to him. Say, Father, you are my God, not me. So our concept so much, so much of the time is like, what can Jesus do for us? But he's saying, you know, he's called us to do work for him, not the other way around. So submit fully and completely. Follow him. Walk in his ways. What are his ways? Well, read the Bible and you know. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Humility, meekness, kindness. How do we know God's spirit is in somebody's life? Right, the fruits of the spirit. That means the evidence of the presence. What's the evidence? Notice it doesn't say fruits. It just means evidence. Like, how do we know he's there? Because, there's, well, God is loving. So if you're loving, then, you know, that, okay. God has joy. Wow, God's joyous, really? Yeah. Peace. Patience, gentleness. And I love the last one. What's the last one? Self-control. What to say in Revelation? And they will reign with him forever and ever. Jesus did not call us to be slaves. He called us to be kings. That's why he created us. He created us to rule. Isn't that awesome? He created us to be in charge of stuff. And how do we practice that on this side of eternity? How about we just be in charge of ourselves to start with? How about we just say, hey, God, let your life flow in me. Believe him. Trust him. Don't tr- the, the temptations are always going to be to your trust in everything else. You know God who loves us so much. You know what he's doing all the time. Those things that we trust in, he just pulls them out of our lives. I'm trusting in my own strength. I'm trusting in my own th- thoughts. I'm trusting in my own, in my situation. He just, whoosh. you ever feel like, oh my gosh, I told my mom one time, I'm like a, I feel like I'm a ship on the ocean. I'm just tossed all over the place. I don't even know where the, where the, where the port is. I don't have an anchor. I'm just being blown all over the place. Because I want to have that thing that is like, you know, that's, that solid thing that I'm looking to in the situations of my life. You know what I'm saying? And when God removes all that, all that, like founda- all the foundations are removed because he wants to be your only foundation. And when, when those are happening, we're so mad at him, but he's saying, I'm trying to do your favor here. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to help you out. Because you said that you wanted to like believe me. And it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, consume him. If you want to know the life of Christ and if you want to share the life of Christ, yes, study. You know, like, watch those apologetics videos. Those are awesome. But I'll tell you something. You have to, ha- you have to love people. If your concept of apologetics is proving people wrong, you're already 100% defeated. Mm-hmm. Ask the Lord this. God, give me love for this person. Help me to be broken for them. Help it to hurt me that they don't know you. Pray the Father's heart into your life. He wants to share his heart with you. And, you know, fellowship with him. Spend time with him. We live in a crazy, busy world. You guys are students, and you have a major blessing in your life, and that is you have a lot of free time. You may not think that. You think you don't have a lot of free time, but you really manage your own schedule. You don't, you, how, much, how often in your week do you actually punch a clock? Only if you go to work, Right? You decide when you study. For the most part, you decide when you get up. You decide when you go to bed. You even decide what time you eat or don't eat, right? You make all of those decisions for yourself. That means you can decide the time that you spend with Jesus and the time you don't spend with Jesus. You really don't have the excuse of, I don't have the time. Discipline yourself and make it happen. And, and this is where the trust part comes in. This is why God taught us about tithing and Sabbathing. It's not about money or taking a day off. It's about trust. It's about me saying, Lord, I really could use all this money, but I'm going to trust that you can make 90% work like 100. And maybe 110 would even be better, Lord, because I could really use even more money. It's it's a trusting lifestyle. Those Those are gifts the Lord, those disciplines are gifts the Lord has given us to trust Him. I take a day off to remind myself that God can, the kingdom of God goes on without me. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm essential and irrelevant. 
When I die, the kingdom of God is not going to die. Somebody asked Rabbi Zacharias, man, what's going to happen when Billy Graham dies? He said, that's a great, that's a great question to be asked when you're an evangelist because basically you're not the answer. You know what I mean? They've already thought Rabbi Zacharias is not replacing Billy Graham, you know? And you know, he, and he said, the, the kingdom of God will go on. It was here before Billy Graham and it'll go on after Billy Graham. So the Lord gives us this, you know, these gifts of Sabbath thing, which I hope you guys practice Sabbath thing, of tithing, which I hope you practice tithing. It's not about people needing money. It's about us practicing our trust in the Father, okay, our trust in his provision. And also practice your fellowship with him. Turn your phone off. Go on prayer retreats. You know, I go on a prayer retreat at least a couple times a year. You say, well, you can do that because you're like a missionary and you have all this time. You know what? I could work 80 hours. I've worked 70, 80 hours a week in ministry before. So it wouldn't be a new thing. Um, when we were first in ministry, we were not very disciplined. And we worked way too much. So, you know, you could, but I choose to say, you know what, God? Being with you is more important than all these other things that I could be getting done. Okay? And not so that he will give me messages and not because so, then, then I'm worshiping those things. Does that make sense? I just want to be with you. If you want to talk to me about something, go ahead, but you don't have to. That's not why I'm here. I'm just here to be with you. So do that. Be in the Word, man. How many of you write through the Bible start to finish? Raise your hand proud. Raise it proud. Do that every year. To me, that's the minimum for every Christian. Read the Bible every year. You're like, wow, that sounds like a lot. It really isn't. You, how many of you write Twilight and Harry Potter? Those books are just as big, if not bigger. We just tell ourselves it's a lot. We, we psych ourselves out. Are some parts boring? Sure. Are sit-ups boring? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, everything is not entertainment, guys. Is that what I'm saying? Stop, stop treating yourself like a God that has to be fed and entertained all the time. Start treating yourself like a servant of a God. And then you'll, you'll have life and life more abundantly. Right? Yes. Life and life movement. And not life just for you, but for the world. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I'm, I'm actually basically taking off and leaving town. But if you want to talk for like a few minutes, that's fine. Dan, are you next? Mm -hmm. Come on in. Let's pray. Father, come on in, Dan. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for Dan. It's going to set these guys straight after all the mess I, I made of them. And uh, pray your, you just pray your life in them, Father. We want your life in them, nothing but your life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay.